Welcome to Radio Free Midworld, a podcast about the Dark Tower series of books written by Stephen King. My name is Cole Ross, and today I am joined by Jeremy Greer. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Cole. How you been, man? I've been doing good. It's good to have you back. It's good to be back. I, yeah. uh, I like doing this podcast a whole lot. I don't know if you know this about me. I really like Stephen King and the Dark Tower. <laughs> like, I, I'm I, really into it. <laughs> I, I, I know. Um, <laughs> or I've, ga- I've gathered as much. Um, and that's why I'm excited to get to this uh to get the to get to this book because I like this book quite a bit. I, yeah, this uh, after we finished the last book, Song of Susanna, I was not able to stop myself. I, I binged this entire book because <laughs> I was just I had to know. And um, I remember not liking a lot of this book when I first read it for the first time. Yeah, um, and I've read it maybe two or three times since. But uh, I, reading it just more just most recently surprised myself by how much I, I just adored the ending and, and liked a lot of the events that led up to it. Yes, um, there's there's only one significantly bad thing that I have a lot of salt about, and I will talk about that on the last episode of this podcast. Gotcha, so. <laughs> gotcha. Um, I, I I'll be curious to hear what that is because I know that this is a this is a pretty controversial entry uh, in the series. You know the 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 general idea is that Stephen King doesn't know how to end a story, um, and when he's been working on a story for thirty five years, uh, that magnifies it to a certain mm-hmm. extent for a lot of folks. Um, I can, you know, make an argument or maybe, maybe you would make an argument about, uh, whether or not endings, you know, necessarily matter as much as a lot of people think. Um, but, uh, I think that, uh, an undue amount of attention goes to the choice that King made, uh, for how to finish this up. Um, yeah, and the, I, the, like that ignores a lot of the really cool stuff that happens, especially in the middle of this book. Yeah, a lot of this stuff is fun, and also that this could just be an age thing. Like when I, I I forget how old I was when this came out. I don't remember the year that it came out, but um, I had a lot more expectations of stories to end, and uh, like I wanted everything to be wrapped up in this great conclusive thing. And as I've mm-hmm. gotten older and experienced more media in various formats, like I've I've let go of a lot of that. Like I'm willing to have things just kind of end and be okay with it if I enjoyed the ride there. Yeah, so I'm a lot less harsh on stuff for the ending. Although again. I do like the way this ends, and I like the way this book begins a whole lot. This mm-hmm. this first chapter, or this first section, which is seven different chapters, is just <laughs> so full of action and cool shit happening, and yeah. just the descriptions are like swing wildly between just utter joy and utter disgust. Like it's Stephen <laughs> King at doing some of the most Stephen King shit that I've ever seen in my life. Paper like skin. <laughs> oh, dude! All of the Mia at Borger and stuff just cre- like I listened to it today um, as I was driving in my car. I want to talk about that a little bit because I don't normally do audiobooks, but I uh-huh. did for this. And um, just the descriptions of Mia and Borger just like I-, I was reaching to the knob on my car, being like, I just need to turn this down. A little bit. Like I don't need this. What if the Starbucks lady hears this? It's yeah, going no. to be creeped out. <laughs> I was a- I was in a drive-through at the Tim Hortons this morning, listening to this to refresh myself. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to switch over off of this because I don't need <laughs> I don't need the, the person handing me my iced coffee to hear about an erect baby penis. Yeah, uh, dude. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's not good. That's not no. good for anybody, Stephen King. Yeah, that's it. Oh, it, man. It's, it's unsettling is what it is. Yeah, I want to I want to hear so. I want to hear your opinion of the uh, of, of the audiobook version of this. Um, uh, just, just, I'll, I'll let you start on it because that, that's, sure. that's how that, the primary way the primary way I've been consuming these for the show. Um, so this is the, f- I don't normally do audiobooks. I find myself, uh, kind of drifting out of paying attention to them. So mm-hmm. I'll, especially cause I'm driving for work and a lot of times I'll get phone calls and things like that. So I, you know, have to take phone calls for work and it just yeah. interrupts the flow 
when I'm reading, I like to sit down and read. Um, but I was kind of pressed for time, and um, and I, I wanted to refresh my memory a little bit, just like you said. And so I was like, I'll just buy the the audiobook and see see what see what's up. Um, and I had a good like four or five hour drive today, so I felt like it was the perfect opportunity. Yeah. Um, um, I don't remember the guy who does the voice for this. It's uh, it's it's George Goodell. Kind of, kind of an old, old old hand uh, at audiobook narration. Abs- absolutely amazing. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, I I really enjoy his voices for a lot of these characters. Mm-hmm. So, um, like the way that he does Jake, or the way that he does Pear Callahan, especially, I thought was just brilliant. <laughs> um, I cannot stand the way that he does Eddie. I think his Eddie is just awful, and I, I and I. And I hate that it's it's like it's so good, and I hate it that it's going to overwrite what I think Eddie sounds like, which is a lot mm. younger and a little bit more cool. Yeah. Um, so it was just it was just an experience hearing him, and, and as somebody who does podcasts, right? Like I'm always kind of fascinated with audio production nowadays, and just hearing how quickly he goes from narration to voice work to narration to voice work and then back again, just like how many cuts is this? Like how want yeah. to see the MP3 file, right? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm picturing, I'm picturing the page and how it's marked up. Cause like, you know, just like, so does he have like different people highlighted in different colors? So he knows what he needs. Like, so he can, he can look down the road and see like, I better have Roland ready for this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just how, just how quickly he he jumps in and out of it, and it was so it, it was a fascinating listen. Um, I got through, I think five of the seven chapters uh, in my drive today. Uh, again, phone calls and work and whatnot, so I didn't get through the whole thing. Yeah, um, yeah. But I was actually thinking, like, I might try to listen to all of this. Like, if I if I'm on the podcast again, like, I might try listening to it that way, just mm-hmm. as a new and fresh experience, because. It was like all of the mo- weird monster voices, the way that he just jumps into that can talk language, like uh-huh. both feet forward, all of the stuff he does with Detta that I was, I, when people would talk about it in the Slack, I was like, I'm sure that's got to be terrible. Like Detta just doesn't, but he just like rolled into it without mm-hmm. any sort of, like if that was, again, just going back to podcasting, like I would have to apologize before I did a voice like that, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like you'd be compelled to, you wouldn't be able to help it. Um, but yeah, he just jumped into it and it was, it was a fresh experience. It was a really nice, nice way to listen or like a way to experience the book yeah no um uh, just so george quidall you know, he's an old hand at uh, at audiobook recording like you know, anybody who has listened to let's say more than three audiobooks will have probably heard him do something um i i really appreciate uh you know both his and frank muller's performances um and the audiobooks in general because like that's how i get the pronunciations for stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. you know um on, on, honestly when you're dealing with fantasy languages you just you, you know it's nice to have it's nice to not have to worry about how to decipher that especially when you are trying to you know comment on and re-relate these stories uh for other people um something that i appreciate especially about um uh, about this book or any and also the previous one uh the you know the parts that took place in maine where like the character's dialect has been written in order to sound as though it's you know from, from the down north kind of yankee accent like george Goodall just leans into it really really hard um and mm-hmm. it does a very good job of drawing the comparison between the cala and 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 maine right um, especially Absolutely. like yeah, I, th- I think that like the performance of John Cullum is really really good. A- Absolutely, I was uh, I finished the last two chapters of my reread mm-hmm. with um with just reading them, and as I was reading them, I was thinking to myself, I really wish I had time to listen to this because <laughs> I would be because so, John Cullum, especially at the at the end of this of these chapters, like really that's like the, his, some of his strongest stuff, and I was just man, I, 
really like to get back and talk to that dude some more. I would like to see what happens with him. Um, also, I realize I'm probably like breathlessly explaining to somebody how good Elton John is in 2019 right now. Oh, I just want to apologize for that, right? Like, no, I, no. I just, I just realized, like, oh, I just, I just found you know Radiohead, and I'm like, oh my god, you cannot believe how good Kid A sounds. And people's like, yeah, man, it's 1998. What are you doing? Hey, I, you know, speaking as somebody who is enthusiastic about narration and you know listens to you know lots of audiobooks, uh, it's fun. Uh, if, if you're genuinely excited about something, it is a joy when somebody uh, discovers it and gushes. Okay. So do not worry. Uh, I, I will. I will speak <laughs> for everybody that you are that, that you are afraid that you uh, embarrass yourself in front of. Do not worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so normally I have like biographical information at the start of these. Um, however, I mean all of these were written basically in the same gasp. Um, after mm-hmm. Stephen King's car accident, uh, or is it a car accident? Uh, yeah, no, when he was hit by that van. Um, so, you know, like they came out relatively in short order, one after the other. This came out on Stephen King's birthday, September the 21st of, uh, 2004, um, it has kind of a different structure than the other books. Uh, I think the only one that I can think of that has a similar structure is Wasteland, uh, which is very much two different books put together. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the story of, I forget the name, the, the names of, of those different parts, but the story of, you know, Jake rejoining the content, um, and then the story of getting into Lud and then getting out on, on, on Blade and the Mono here. Um, this is, um, I think five different sections here of varying lengths and each of them gets their own, uh, subtitle, uh, which, uh, a lot of them have been used, uh, before, actually uh in the in the series so you know uh reproduction revelation redemption resumption etc all of those get folded back into this um to uh highlight the different uh you know kind of themes i guess that he wants to hit so again calling back um yes. to the previous stuff and actually i, I believe um this is that they're done in reverse order so this picks up with reproduction uh, which is what I believe um, Song of Sus- Susanna was, then goes back to Revelation, Redemption, Resumption, which is uh, the subtitle that he ended up giving to the gunslinger when he did the 2003 revision uh, for it. Yeah. And that'll make sense mm-hmm. when we get to the when we get to the end of this one. Um, it will definitely make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and regarding that ending, I, I would like to refuse comment on it in detail right now. Uh, just in case, yeah, you know, I know that there are people who do do follow along, even though these books are relatively old. Uh, that is meant to be a surprise to our characters. Um, uh, however, um, I want to return to you know the idea of like, okay, what what is a good ending? What purpose does it serve? Um, what can we expect out of this? And I, I'm going to draw an example from video games. Uh, Jeremy, have you played the uh, the Mass Effect games? Yes. Okay. I've played um I, I I I tapped out of one and I've played two for hundreds and hundreds of hours. I did like two or three full runs of two and then I played through three once. Gotcha. So, and I haven't played them haven't played them since. Gotcha. Okay. Uh so 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 you'll under you'll understand this. Uh there was a big um controversy about the ending of Mass Effect three. People felt like the, the, the choices that they made throughout the series didn't necessarily matter. And that is a series that is very much about choice. Um, and I didn't understand an awful lot of the, 
I didn't understand a lot of the, the, the outrage about it. A, because it's outrage about a video game and it's hard for me to have, you know, I, I just, I, it doesn't, I don't truck with that an awful lot, but I didn't see the ending being like the stuff that happened right before the credits. The entirety of Mass Effect 3 is a wrap up to the series. Like, like that whole game is the ending because you are watching from the start of it to the very end, all of these threads be tied up, right? Yes, absolutely. And at a certain point, like, no matter how complex your game is from a decision standpoint, like, it has to, either you have to write 27 different endings and, mm-hmm. and, and like, go through that process, or you try to wrap up individual lines and go to one full, like, this is the ending for everybody. Like, regardless yes. of how your personal drama ended up, the world still explodes. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't quite remember the ending of Mass Effect 3 that well. Like, you know, <laughs> I played, like, all five of them or whatever. Like, however many they released, I went through all of them. But, um, yeah. But yeah, like at, at a certain point, it's it's the journey that you're going through to get there. And that very much feels, from the very opening of this book, um, it feels like that. Like our, our content is scattered. They're working to get back together with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they're together, like it, it feels like a book of endings from the very beginning. Like it yeah. feels like at any moment anybody could die or, you know, get pulled away. Like Susanna during this, like I, the first time I read it and even rereading it in 2019, like just thinking... I don't, I don't know how she's going to get out of this. <laughs> like, what is she going to do? Um, like, I don't know. How, what, what are they? It's like the ending of a Batman, uh, you know, Batman <laughs> from the sixties of like, yeah. come back next week, folks, and figure out what, what Mordred's going to be like. Um, <laughs> just picturing that sixties version of Mordred. <laughs> uh, I hope he has some spider repellent in that belt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he got got a bag of spider cider. Yeah. But yes, uh, it's it's very much like all of these characters dealing with their own personal stuff and kind of wrapping up and and yeah, like I said, I said from at the beginning that I was into the ending of this, and we're not going to go into what the specifics of that is, but um, uh, you know, just it's just I just I just like it. Like mm-hmm. again, there's one very specific thing that happens that I. I, I think is just really distasteful and, and I hate to, I don't want to, I don't want to tease that. So if you want to add uh, me on, on, on whatever, like I will tell you, like, but how about the, this? I, I, I'm, I'm curious cause you're alluding to it. I'll just, I'll just cut it out. Can you tell me what, 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 are, what the, what aspect sticks out? So, so that'll be a juicy secret until the last episode of the, of, of the, of the uh, season. Um, however, um, I, I think, you know, the, that, that relates to the ending of the book. What I would say to anybody who is listening to this, who is saying, Hey, you're doing an awful lot of, apologetics for a thing that you know to, to to my ear and to my eye seems kind of indefensible um understand that the ending of this book is the ending of roland's story um and the book itself broadly from the very start you know the first chapter of this book you know has you know has us wrapping up you know the story of one of these characters you know we're going to see callahan die this episode um, you know, look at the event. I, I just I would ask, look at the events of this book as a broader ending and consider the individual endings that these people get, as opposed to kind of like trying to take the macro view, I suppose. That's mm-hmm. the view that I have in looking at this. And that has helped me really enjoy what goes on and, here. And, and this, these are probably a lot of really good points that we should be bringing up on the, the last episode that we cover this, yes. bu- this book on. But um, it, it's also a thing like I, you can not like the ending. You can like the ending or whatever. You can also like I don't think that any single person would look at the Dark Tower and be like, it's perfect. You did a wonderful job. <laughs> <laughs> like, all, all of this adds up. And they're like, like, I'm, you know, I, I get obsessively bothered with 19 and I hate the fact that he went back and rewrote a bunch of, of, of my favorite book of the series, The Gunslinger, a bunch mm-hmm. of 19 bullshit into it. But yeah. at the same time, like 
it's it's an artistic work. It's a creative endeavor. It's his. He can do whatever he wants to with it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like it's and it's up to me to enjoy it or not. But you know, everything everything is going to have is be a little gnarly, especially when it's messy and creative. And Stephen King's has never been able to write a, a very good ending. Like it's very rare that that happens. Mm-hmm. So I come into this like thinking. I, I want to know what happens to these characters. I don't, whatever happens after that, I'm I'm not as concerned with. And again, not saying that like I've matured a lot or anything. Like I'm not saying I'm some, I'm I'm not gifted reader. And so you're, 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 you're not, now, a, right. You're not above it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But it's something that I think came when I was younger, I was way more concerned with the last chapter of every single book. Um, and versus nowadays where I'm like, no, no, I want to actually enjoy the book. That's I'm, I'm here for the story part, not, yeah. the, not the ending. So, yep. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Uh, We're going to start off with Callahan and the Vampires, which uh, picks up right where the previous book left off. I think that might not technically be true because I think the last thing we saw was um, uh, was uh, what's her name? Susanna going into labor. Uh, But, you know, one of the major events as things were getting in place was that uh, uh, Jake and Callahan were getting ready to storm into the Dixie pig. And Jake was giving Callahan the rundown on how far he should stand apart. Uh, basically mm-hmm. giving like t- tactical rundowns uh, as they walk into this den of cannibals. It's uh, really difficult for me to remember that Jake is what? 11 here, 11 or 12, something um, like that. Yeah. <laughs> because he is, you know, the, the, the balance or rather the imbalance between him and Callahan is so great. <laughs> because he's literally lifting off of these like tactical, like you need to stand 10 feet away from me. We need to keep him in between us at all times, unless mm-hmm. we can't do this. And it's all comes from Roland as, yeah. as his, you know, content leader. But it's just like, I'm 30 something years old right now. Uh-huh. If I saw an 11 year old and he tried to tell me what to do. I would just literally <laughs> turn around and walk away. Like it's what it's, he must be just such a force of personality at this point that it's just, it's so good. Like I love Jake so much, in this, <laughs> especially in this, because he's, like he gets a little stuck during the scene uh, mm-hmm. and has to be reminded to move on. Yeah. But boy, like he's, he just kind of just nails exactly what to do here. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the, it is thanks to, it is thanks to a lot of infer- intervention that this goes as well, as well as it does. But uh, Jake gets them a good, uh, gets them a good start. Um, I'm trying to reconcile how I feel about, because I, I literally never had this thought, uh, reconcile how, how I feel about Jake being a child soldier. <laughs> Hideo, do we need to get Hideo on the phone? Yeah. See what happens? Hey, Kojima, what, cool. I got a question for you. Yeah, yeah. This is Dollar Friend. It's just Dollar Kojima and to find out one fact. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah I mean, that's, that's yep. something that I think throughout this book, um, I think from from my perspective as a kid reading these books like these guys were all badasses and looking at this from the other side of uh, a a bunch of crazy political stuff that's happening in the world and like Mm -hmm. a bunch of gun violence in america like jesus christ like there's a part in in this where Susanna like thanks roland for introducing her to this urge to kill and and i'm just like man okay because you guys are badasses and i think there's another section where eddie refers to um i can't remember who it is it's, it's, I think it's, I think it's Deep, Deep No, where he says that he's a grass eater, and you know all grass eater, and he knows he's a grass eater because Eddie used to be a grass eater until Roland trained him to be a warrior. And I'm like, okay, calm down. Like, <laughs> just because I have a job and participate in capitalism doesn't make me a grass eater, okay? <laughs> 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 but yeah, like it's it's weird to think that you know 
it, as as badass as these fictional characters are, like this is an eleven year old kid that you stole from his parents, brought into another world, killed, brought back to life, <laughs> and have drugged through he- literal hell in some cases to make a child soldier. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, just to, to to zoom out very quickly, J candles at Abley, uh, except for that yes. time he mm-hmm. nearly shoots a, a cab driver dead. Uh, that was <laughs> that that was a bit much. Uh, Look, if somebody messed with with Rosie, I would do the same thing. I mean, they could have Avon, but Rosie is awful. <laughs> <laughs> the hated Avon. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, this restaurant is full of full, full of vampires, uh, all three types. Uh, we've got low men, um, and we also have something relatively new. Uh, these tahine, these humanoid cr- uh, uh, creatures, humanoid people with animal heads. Uh, we find out that uh, the low men are actually these things in disguise because they're kind of letting their masks slip. We saw this happen in Song of Susanna. As Susanna was being dragged back, she, like, got her claws into the face of one of the uh, women in here uh, who, like, weirdly becomes kind of not a major character, but like a substantive character in the Dark Tower movie, which never sat right with me. Um, God, I have blocked. We did three hours on that on that po- podcast on that movie, and I have blocked all of it from my mind. I don't remember this chick showing up at all. Yeah, no she she's the she's the one who like goes up to Matthew McConaughey. Like she's Matthew McConaughey's kind of like uh, lieutenant or something oh, like that. Or yeah. she yeah, like what he, the hell he, is that? He scars her face or something like that, and she works with Pimley, who isn't like a like a like a middle aged you know prison warden in that in that movie. He's like a. Like a twenty-year-old dude. Mm. What is that movie? Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 maybe the Blu-ray is cheap enough. I want to see the. I, I want to see the. Uh, the special features. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure those are real special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, oh, man. Anyway, but we've got these Tahin uh, here, and kind of a, not- a noteworthy one. I forget his name, but he's the he's like a canary kind of dude. Jake. Uh, or I think Callahan shoots him. He he goes away, but it's very, uh, um, it is, it, you know, kind of, kind of odd. Uh, I like that the doctor bugs make an appearance again. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Like, this is always purpose in life. Like this is what they've <laughs> trained bumbler bumblers to do, right? The Billy yeah. bumblers to do like, this is, Oh, we have, we have some bumbler sized problems. <laughs> so we need to, we need to invent a bumbler that can take care of these bumbler sized problems for us. So we don't have to, I just, um, I just like, I, a, I like when dogs have jobs. Um, mm-hmm. and I like, I like it when Oi has a, has a role in a, in an encounter yeah. that, you know, that, that, that he could, that he can fulfill, fulfill that. How do you, how do you like the idea of, uh, Callahan who has found the Sculpta, this turtle figurine that Mia had and uses it to basically put a spell on all of these vampire people? Um, cause it's something like, it's, it's these little deus ex machinas that kind of, that I want to be bothered by a little mm-hmm. bit, but also I have to like take a step back and be like, it's, 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 fa-. he's writing himself into the books. Like it's fantasy. Who cares? Like, <laughs> at this point, like he's holding away a little magic talent, a tal- talisman around and it's gone or Gan or whatever. And it's cool. Like, it's just like, this is going to be what gets them through to the next level of the video game. And I'm, listening to it this morning i was i was way more excited by it than i than i have been in the past i was curious how you felt about it um so i i, I like it quite a bit uh for, for 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 two for two different reasons one is kind of the diff, the the differentiation between the white and the red so um the you know the 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 red being the crimson king and kind of the forces of discordia they have a tremendous advantage on the board because the crimson king is like kicking it here physically and commands his armies and such 
um, unmaking stuff and um, kind of exerting more direct, um, more direct kind of, um, uh, you know, influence on the world. Whereas the white kind of just, and this is a, a thing just traditionally doesn't act directly, but instead nudges people in the right directions uh, through either coincidence and intuition or inspiration. Um, and, you know, like quite literally in this, in this world, you know, because this is a story that is being, that is being written by Stephen King as the avatar of Gan and therefore the white pulling this out. Like it is totally fine to my eye that there is this coincidence coming through because that is how the force of good is using these people, um, mm -hmm. for, for what they need to do. So that's reason number one. I think it lines up quite well. That's why coincidence doesn't necessarily bother me. Um, the other part of this that I like is that Callahan's reliance on talisman, um, is a huge part of his character. You know, it's how he fell in, um, it's how he fell in Salem's lot, right? Was that he had the thing, but not the faith, not the actual genuine belief, uh, that, that, that it would work. The fact that this is effective here, but it, it doesn't get him, get him all the way. And it forces him to fall back on his actual belief. And right before he dies, he finds out that it is actually there more powerful than ever. And he becomes like a holy gunman. Um, <laughs> I think that's all really cool. And I think that having having the Shalpada here um, is like a a neat little step on the way to that realization. I also there's a there's a real Stephen King line uh, towards the end of this where he loses the the talisman and it's a, and Stephen King says something to the extent of and there it goes out of the story like a certain paper boat that some of you may remember and I'm like yes Stephen King I <laughs> yeah. remember the I remember the book it thank you <laughs> <laughs> I, that was a bit much that that was a, that was a little self congratulatory. <laughs> It, it, it is, but also like as a as a dude who in his teenage years like was reading Stephen King a lot and just uh -huh. cherished every single time it would make a reference to another Stephen King book. Like mm -hmm. that was like my MCU at the time, right? Yeah. Like that's, uh -huh. that's to make it to make it very cheesy, but like that was all of those interconnecting stories. And oh, maybe this is related to that. Like I still kind of dig that stuff with Stephen yeah. King. So I'm, 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 I'm like I'll make fun <laughs> of it and also kind of like it at the same time because I'm, I am I can hold multitudes inside myself and I can do that. Yeah, I, I sounded dismissive, but that's just because it as farcical on its face i too mm -hmm. love those connections you know yeah no so I, th I think we're on the same page there it just like that like every time that hits me really that like that hits me really hard like mm -hmm. disproportionate to the stuff around it. i mean like a major character's dying <laughs> exactly yeah there's a there's a thing later where uh uh, Susanna is like hearing voices and she, 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 she says something to the extent of like, like Christine McDonald. I don't remember the actual name. And I'm like, who is that? Like, I need to go to a Wikipedia page and try to figure out this reference. And yeah, I, th I think it might've been, um, I think it, that might actually be an activist that she was, uh, referring to, unless you looked it up. Who was it? I didn't, I did not look, I was driving. Oh, okay. So I, I didn't look ah, it up. Gotcha. Um, yeah, but yeah, Cat Callahan, he's relying on this, uh, on, on this turtle. Cause basically he just gets a whisper. Um, saying like, Hey, you know, use this. So, you know, he, he draws, he draws the Ruger. Um, and then says like, yeah, I know you can use this. And the Tahine and the, the, and the lesser vampires, they are, um, entirely transfixed by this. Just like mm -hmm. we saw happen with, with mats and with, uh, the hotel clerk, you know, it's a, it's an object of, uh, of fascination and command. Um, this is not enough, though, because we are dealing with stronger vampires who do not necessarily uh, pay any heed to this. 
Um, and Callahan gets stranded up on a table and, weirdly enough, shouts at Jake in Roland's voice to go ahead without him, saying, like, yeah, this is the will of the, the, will of the wife. This is how this has to go. I have to go down so you can go forward. And, you know, Jake is so stunned by the, the events that are happening um, that he's, you know, again, he's a kid. He's a little boy. Like, mm-hmm. we have to say that. He's a little boy. Um, that even... Like hearing Roland's voice come out of Callahan's throat doesn't work as well. Um, it takes another voice saying, "You know, they're going to get Oi, and they're going to they're going to kill him and drink his blood in front of you." Before mm-hmm. he actually is like, "Oh yeah, we need to get we need a GTF. We need to go. <laughs> we got to get out of here. I got a job to do. I don't know why I'm hanging out with these vampires. I got I got other stuff to do." And then yeah. before he finally goes, which I think is is, is interesting because like it just it's it's just hammering home that bond between Jake and Oi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's it's concern for his grandpa over, you know, concern for his adopted son or surrogate son, you know, anyway, mm-hmm. you know, just, just like he, he is responsible for this creature, you know, mm-hmm. uh, my appreciation for that, for that relationship between Jake and Oi has gotten, has gotten a little bit more rich since I got a pet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, seriously. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I never, I, you know, I never had pets. Um, like I would have a cat here and there, um, and my sister would have a dog or something. But I never really mm-hmm. had like my own pet or anything. Mm-hmm. And um, even Autumn and I, like adopting ad- adopting the dogs and everything, like it's been like th- those are my dogs. Don't get me wrong, but like it yeah. doesn't doesn't quite uh, hit me. Like it doesn't like this stuff doesn't bother me as much or anything. Like it's just still about the same level. So that's interesting. Like you got a cat and you were like, oh yeah, this is my oi. I am going to protect her and never forget the face of her father. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah i I just uh, it's it's weird i never had pets growing up you know just it it wasn't a thing that really happened in the house so it's this this is the first time i've like bonded with an animal yeah also i don't i don't think we've spoken since you've gotten your cat uh but you named your cat after my grandmother so did did i okay Mm -hmm. for a while my grandmother uh on her yeah her first marriage she was greta green greer whoa ggg <laughs> yeah <laughs> she, she was the hardcore gamer before there were even gamers <laughs> yeah. yeah i just uh, to be fair i i just left her with that name they gave they gave her that name in the shelter and i just uh oh. i i thought that it, i thought that it was appropriate because she is a proper lady you know um, pretty cat so yeah callahan makes his last stand here right yeah um and it's I like this moment where uh, one of the vampires says, you know, just just put it away. Like if you if you if you're such a man of faith, just put it away, which is, of course, how Salem's Lot ended, like you mentioned a few minutes ago. But this mm-hmm. time Callahan just puts it away. He's like, I don't need to question my faith because of you. Like if you're going to come at me, come at me. Mm-hmm. And then like he literally starts glowing blue. <laughs> and as you said, become a holy gunman, which is way better than a holy diver. So Dio, yes. look out. <laughs> um, but like this, this the culmination of all of his faith and all of his like his his wandering across America and his guilt and his experience in another world and trying to come to grips with everything that's happened to him and into this one moment of pure faith, I think is really brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just, a, it's a, it's a really good send off for a character that frankly, I never liked that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like Salem's a lot. I think it's a good book. I didn't like Callahan was just Callahan. Like I, I was way more into the vampire side of that story. Yeah. Um, yeah the and then like he really rubs me the wrong way when he's like you shouldn't abort the demon baby in the last book and so i just really didn't like that and he's always been especially in wolves of the cala and song of Susanna, he's just kind of a pompous prick a little bit Mm -hmm. and this is a really good send-off and a really good way to make me like a dude that i didn't particularly care for before this yeah yeah i I think that i am i I am finding myself weirdly susceptible to stories about faith or to faith Mm -hmm. as a concept 
Um, and, and so to see, to, to see him, I don't know, have this, have this recognition about what the, about what the nature of this power is, you know, to just, you know, the, the quote here is I needn't stake my faith on a challenge on the challenge of a thing uh, such as you. Um, and just saying like, yeah, no, like I do not need to prove it against you. All I need to do is rely on it. Um, and to see that become literal power that lets him cave in the heads of these monsters, um, at least until they, at least until they, uh, overwhelm him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's, um, it's a really good, uh, you know, kind of like not full circle because by the time we meet him in Salem's lot, he doesn't, he doesn't have any faith. <laughs> like he's incredible, he's incredibly jaded about, yeah. um, you know, just, just about the church in general in a kind of shitty way. Cause he's like, ah, oh, we need to, we need to get back to, you know, to, to, to old religion, you know, um, <laughs> which is a, just a, a, you know, an oddly regressive position. Um, but here he, he, you know, he comes around when he understands exactly the nature of the evil that they're up against, you know, uh, to, to the point about his, weirdly pro-life stance when it comes to demon babies like now that he's looked you know like here in this scene when he has seen the nature of the of the monsters they're up against like what the crimson king actually trades in he uh he, you know he, he, he thinks he calls himself a fool for, for for not taking care of this or for for standing in the way of that for standing mm -hmm. in the way of the uh, of the mordridgeon the, the abortion of mordred <laughs> The abortion, abortion. <laughs> I don't. I, I, I try. I try to. So I'm going to admit. I, I tried a bunch of those, and I wrote that down. So I so because I wanted to make that joke, but I didn't want to trust my d stupid dumb brain to arrange the syllables correctly. So what I have in the notes is actually what I. <sighs> sorry, it's it's so lame to admit that you prepare material. No, it's not. It's not at all. I'm, what What is hilarious to me is somebody finding the notebook where you wrote a bunch of different combinations of abortion and Mordred on it and going like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I know you like horror games, but dial the fuck down, man. What yeah. are you doing? <laughs> Maybe, uh, I don't know, go on vacation. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but this is this is the end of Callahan's um, story. He he gets overwhelmed, um, and he issues his prayer that Roland may breach the tower and climb to the top. Um, and as the vampires close their close their jaws over him, because you know, even faith is not enough when you're when when you're surrounded. In this instance, at least, um, he shoots himself in the head, which is a kind of an, a a little bit of an echo or a mimic of the scene when he uh, escapes from Sayer mm -hmm. and the low men who bring him in after they, after they basically catch him murdering all these vampires in New York when he, when he leaps out. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, so. this is like, like you said, this is powerful. Like this is, this is him denying these people that he, that have been after him for a long time. And it's mm -hmm. a, a moment of, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Not betrayal, but it's a moment of defiance. Yes. Um, in the face of all of this evil. And like, he may have committed suicide, but he still went out swinging. Right. Like yeah. that's, that's the, that's, that's the point here. And mm -hmm. it's, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a fitting into this character, I believe. And it's obviously going to shake some of these characters, especially Jake. Um, it's it's gonna definitely going to shake Jake, mm -hmm. which is my new, which is my new product that I yes. have coming out shake from. Jake. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, yeah. shake and shake. Yes, that sounds way too. That sounds way too good. Someone has done a shake and shake. We just don't know what it is, right? Yeah, like someone has no, done it's a, a shake it's, and shake. It's out there. That has to yeah. be. That has, yeah, it's too. It's too. It's too much of a. It's too much of a rhyme for someone. Else right. To have done right. It, um, <laughs> yeah. we, we could probably get Duck Fest or excuse me, Duck Feed branded shake and jakes right now if we just looked online at the right spot. So. Uh, let me see here. Um, Mojo Outdoors Shake and Jake Motorized Motion Turkey Decoy. Oh, I am definitely buying one of these. This looks too good. <laughs> let me see. Yeah. No. Oh, they're ninety eight dollars. Pa- Patreon.com slash duck slash duck feed TV. Look at no. this duck. Look at this motion turkey duck decoy. This is great. That's pretty good. <laughs> I am going to put one of these in my yard. This is great. Uh, you're gonna get a bunch of getting a bunch of turkeys around there. Um, I wonder what powers this. Anyway, anyway, I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> That's okay. I, like you couldn't say it and then not have me look or not have both of us look. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was out there. So we're gonna leave Jake. Um, and we're going to go over to, uh, to Eddie and Roland up in Maine in 1977. Uh, the events of this first kind of book of this book, the, uh, the, the Little Red King here, a lot of them take place in parallel and they intersect in a few ways. So we saw one of those um, with, uh, um, you know, Roland's mouth coming out of Callahan's or Roland's voice coming out of Callahan's mouth. Um, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's going to be kind of difficult to untangle these. Just understand they're all going to end at the same place, but we're in um, chapter two lifted on the wave. And, um, you know, Eddie is saying like, okay, well, if we're going to get back our best choice, our best chance is to go into uh, go, go to Turtleback lane where we've got all of these walk-ins coming over, um, uh, you know, likely this door that is there um, that would you know, remain when the prim receded that primordial chaos, all that magic, um, you know, when that, drained away and just left our world it was probably activated by king's proximity remember when uh, king moved over to his place uh that that was about when these walk-ins started uh but as they're on their way oops no gravity uh the car <laughs> is lifted off of the off of the road and they're floating around inside with all of tom Cullum's car junk before they um flip toe dash Stephen King describes all of the car junk in this vehicle no less than four times in those seven <laughs> chapters. Like, it comes up here. It'll come up when they come back from the wave. It'll come up when uh, we go over to Susanna, who sees the other half of the wave. Like, mm-hmm. it's every time, and it's the ashes, and it's a quarter, and it's a doormat, or excuse me, a floor mat. Like, it's just, I don't know what, like, it's like his holy grand trinity of items that are in a car. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I'm good. You know, yeah, I, no, I, I, I know what's stuff around them. I drive a car. They're filthy. <laughs> it's, and it's, um, it's really fascinating to me that uh, they are going to um, appear naked with all of this car junk around them. Because I feel like if the car junk comes, like my, my Wrangler buttoned up blue jean shirt should also come with me. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like weirdly it would be floating next to me. Yeah, because because living stuff, <laughs> living stuff is some just a little bit different than uh the the, the non living stuff. I've got no idea. I couldn't square that. What if uh Roland and Jake just appeared to Susanna like as crisscross from the 1990 rap group, just wearing Ooh. their pants backwards, right? Yeah. Like just the the prim really fucked him up and made him into a rap group. That's what I'm here for. Uh, oh man. Uh, yeah, he, he he describes this quite a bit, and I like this idea of this uh, tidal wave like rolling along the beam. And um, Roland talks about his teacher, uh, 
whose name I can never pronounce correctly. So Vene. 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 Um, kind of describing this to him. As, and he calls him Gabby uh, because he talks because he doesn't talk so much. And I just like mm-hmm. Vene just kind of like fucking with Roland. It was calling yeah. him Gabby all the time. Like, that's really good. <laughs> yeah. Until until Cork makes him stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair to tease the boy. Hit, them, hit him with this stick instead. <laughs> yeah. Chill, chill out, Cork. <laughs> Yeah, no. This is this is good. So what happens is, you know, it it is not necessarily a beam quake. The beam hasn't hasn't broken, but there's a ripple that goes along, and it is kind of pulled them up. And the idea is that you know you are sent between the worlds, but it, it gives you an opportunity to see something that you want to see again. Kind of looking at thinking about you know how, how much of the travel that is done here is done through intention by concentrating on the place where they need to go. That's how. That's how they're going to get back to New York uh, by going mm-hmm. by going through that particular door. Uh, but the beam's in trouble. Um, part of that lesson that Vanna gives is that hey, the beam will sometime talk to you. We're going to see that actually um, as this goes on when we get into uh, the, the the blue heaven portion of this and we start dealing with uh, dealing with the breakers. Uh, the one detail about the car junk, not to dwell on it as much as uh, Stephen King does, but when he is listing the items and he just says the world's oldest peanut. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's just good. I, I, I like that. That's a good. That, that is a good phrase. John, clean out your car. Go to the vacuum place. Just yeah, get it out of there. Get all those like, weird peanuts it, out of there. It costs. It costs like a buck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, 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 a buck and what was it? Seventy-seven. I, I doubt it. Right? Like no, this has got to be no. a quarter to go to the vacuum place. It's probably. That's probably like complimentary. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so. I don't know. Oh, um, man. <laughs> but uh, they're taken to two places um, in sequence here. This is a relatively short chapter, uh, but this is kind of the connective tissue. It's why why they appear and how they get some of this information. Uh, first, they appear naked over Susanna's hospital bed um, and Fedek as she is you know, going through labor. We're going to see this a little bit later, um, but uh, they only get one thing out of this. Uh, she says the word chasset with great effort. Um, this yes. is uh, pulled from a rhyme that we have heard. Um, at least over the past three books here, um, mm-hmm. from I believe Roland's childhood, um, Chesset, 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 bring enough to fill your basket. Yeah. Um, and of course, it means you know seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. So nineteen is Chesset, yep. and um, it's you know he it, all of these memories are tied up. Uh, there's some real weird like mother son stuff here where Roland remembers being a child and wanting to marry his mother, which I think is a very natural thing. Um, but yeah. Stephen King just runs it out for three sentences too long. He's like, we're going to get married and have kids of our own and live forever. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> no, we don't need to go that far. Um, the brakes, buddy. But more importantly, like the, the stained glass that reflect the colors of the, the rainbow, like, and as we know, like the, the actual colors of the rainbow, which is a very big, important detail in the, mm-hmm. in the dark tower. Um, and just all of that stuff, like boy, Roland just like, Kyle had it out for that dude from from the word jump, right? Like he mm-hmm. just like Kyle was gonna fuck with this dude for all eternity, and it just like from like even from when he was a kid, his mother has seen him the word nineteen. Like it's just poor <laughs> Roland in some cases, right? Yeah, Kamai, Ka- he's Kyle's fool. Absolutely, that's right. I think I think that's the that's the high speech for that. I don't know. I forget. <laughs> um, so that's one of them. Like, that, that, that's going to be a password later on. Uh, the other one, they're taking the Dixie Pig, and this is where uh, Roland, and, Roland and Eddie possess Callahan uh, to give them did, Jake to go on. Did we 
I can't remember if this was in the in the last book or not, but uh, when they go into the Dixie Pig, they see this giant uh, tapestry. Did, did, that was was that in the last book? Did y'all talk about the, the cannibal party? Yes, yeah. we talked about okay, the uh, the the Last Supper, but they're eating a baby that's roasting on a spit instead of a chicken. Yeah, I thought I thought you had talked about it. Uh, yeah. Roland just seeing this and immediately like recognizing it for what it is was yeah. was really interesting to me. Just immediately going to exactly what it meant and having all of these things as he sees the the low ones. Or the, the the type one vampires, the grandfathers, and realizing like he I'll, like this tapestry makes a lot of things click for him that mm-hmm. he wouldn't that he that hadn't clicked yet. He's like, yeah, I should have probably been paying attention to this. Yeah. Like now, I understand what these things are and maybe what to do about them. Um, yes, and then also, yeah, like possessing Callahan. Um, it it really is harkens back to drawing up the three when he you know comes forward to possess Eddie or Susanna at various times, and mm-hmm. just it's just amazing how practiced Roland is at this now that it's, that he just becomes. <laughs> There's there's a line in here. It's like if he had to think about what he was doing, um, he wouldn't be able to do it. But Roland's not practiced in thinking about things. He's practiced in doing things. And yeah. that just really speaks to Roland's character of like, yeah, I'm just going to reach out and like take over this dude's vocal cords. And you're like, wait, excuse me. Like there's a million nerds on 4chan. Not 4chan. Let's not say 4chan. No, but, like, no, there's a million nerds on Twitter that are raising their hands. Like, excuse me. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> you, you haven't demonstrated this ability before. He kind of did it. You know, we're going to, we're going to see something later. That's kind of like this, but is way more ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, oh, so something else that he does. Uh, he, uh, th- this is where we learn about the Tahin. He recognizes that the Tahin are, uh, are, are, are in play. So he recognizes them from, uh, from his previous travels and they're, uh, they're, they're, they're serious business. And he yells at, at Jake to, to hurry along. And then, uh, he gets, he gets pulled out of Callahan's body because this, this tidal wave is, is pulling him back out. Like he gets sent upwards and then um, he hears like Eddie's voice coming out of Callahan to say, you know, they're going to get away or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just interesting to me. And I think the book remarks on it of like Eddie had more of a connection or was able to resist the wave more or, or something to to be able to to you know kick Jake in the ass to get him out of that room. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. Um, Eddie makes a lot of like last minute saves um, in these last two books, actually. Eddie is the guy that you want in your darkest dungeon team. Yes. <laughs> like he's the guy that's going to come through every, every single time. Yeah, no, like, like it, you, you may be beaten and battered, but Eddie's going to be the difference between walking away or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens here actually, because, uh, without Eddie making his call in, uh, chapter three segues, um, <laughs> without him, uh, you know, insisting on this, uh, who knows what would have happened with the tech corporation, or with uh, with the plot of land, or with the rose, uh, if you know Cal Tower was left to uh, have any power over this at all. This um this 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 hand reading over what to do about this stuff isn't my favorite thing in the book. No, um, it's it's very much taking this grand fantasy epic and boiling it down to like some paperwork. We we saw a little bit of this it's in Song of Susanna with Aaron Dipno and the and Calvin Tower. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to sign this and we need to do that and all of this stuff. And this I I like I if you're gonna hand wave some shit away in a in a fantasy novel, like mm-hmm. maybe hand wave all of this corporation making stuff. And at the end of this, uh we get some really cool stuff that John Column does that I really enjoy. Yeah. Um but man, it feels like this goes on for like ten pages, maybe twenty pages too long, that it's just him, it's Eddie and Roland sitting in this car and like discussing their options, none of which are good, and it takes them a while to come out, which it I guess it's supposed to feel very natural and like how are we gonna do this? But it just goes on for way too long for me. 
Yeah, like there, there are a couple of chapters that are like that in this. Um, I'll, you know, like the in the the in the jungle section, but was, you know, the hand hand wringing is a good way to uh, is a good way to put that where it feels like they you could cut the deliberation and like maybe you know come into the scene all like at the phone like at the phone booth, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, or or yeah. come back from the car and or come back from the wave and like land in your own body and where everything is scattered and, and Eddie looks up and realizes like oh hey we, we got to go back to column and yeah. Roland's like what do you mean and he's like no just listen and then like mm-hmm. you know one of those cl- patented Stephen King chapter breaks of like later yes <laughs> and then like it's just all done like you know what I'm saying like I <laughs> I just there and you're right the in the jungle stuff I'm gonna get. I, Reading that for like another time through this, I was I was skimming, I was going yeah, fast through yeah. that. Yeah, not 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 great. Um, but yeah, uh, like, it, I, and I agree with you that like where this ends up is pretty good. Um, I don't I don't know why he felt the need to show his work on this one. Um, yeah. you know, so what's happening here? You know, Roland really he wants he wants to go. He wants to to, to scurry. You know, just, we've we've got a quartet to bring back together. Eddie says, hey, listen, I want to get back with Susanna more than anything. Use that as credibility. Believe me when I say we have to do this because we've got this piece of paper that says, yeah, the tech corporation owns that land. That's not enough. We need resources. We need uh, like an infrastructure to back this up. Um, we, We need Holmes Dental. Like if we can prove that Susanna is still alive. Um, and if there is anybody there who can, you know, who, who that will matter to, it's probably going to be Moses Carver. We need to, you know, go, um, and talk to him, but we don't have the ability to do that. And if we leave here, we can't come back because of the way time moves and in, in Keystone earth. Um, so they go down this big list and they spend way too long and eventually say, okay, John Cullum, like these, he's, he's the literal bottom of the barrel. Seems like a solid guy. He didn't necessarily balk at anything we said so far. <laughs> we just have to hope that he didn't follow our directions. He, um, Eddie thinks for a while, just, just Stephen King getting up his own ass. Like, well, maybe, maybe Susanna could come back to this time, but maybe she would be blocked because she's in our quartet, but maybe she wouldn't be blocked because she hasn't actually been back here. Or maybe she would be because it's the future. And I'm like, yeah. Oh my God, dude, <laughs> let's just get to the point already. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, not, not, to, not, to, not to hand bone it up about how bad this is. I just, man, it's, it's just egregious for like 20 or 30 pages. Yeah. I, it, it seems like he's doing an awful lot of like, um, like hedging against, uh, against potholes in this uh yeah yeah um which does not speak of confidence and there 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 are if you're if you're worried about pleasing the pedants like don't make a story about time travel yeah seriously <laughs> yeah um, the we, russo we, brothers knew what they were getting into that's all i'm saying like they, yes. they, they were fully prepared for the but what about it some that came out of that so, yes yeah. yeah they were they and they have the right attitude so that's mm-hmm. that, that, that that's good um you know and he's he's stephen king has shown that he can write a good time 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 travel story, um, eleven twenty two sixty three. I need to re. I've been fighting off the urge to reread that book because I have so much other stuff to read. But that is such a good book. It um, is a great book. The show is absolutely dreadful. Like I, I got maybe forty minutes into, or not even forty minutes into the first yeah. episode, was like I can't watch James Franco be this serious. I just can't do it. No, no. Um, I watched the I watched the miniseries and I suffered through him for the actually like really good performance that uh the guy who played Oswald put in. Mm-hmm. yeah but no no james franco sorry buddy uh, uh good they've they eventually decide to go uh they find some change in a box um that's real lovingly described in that classic stephen king way um, mm-hmm. 
and they decide to go uh, make a phone call to see if John Collum actually followed their, their directions and left or if he's like Roland thinks if he's at home just chilling. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I like this this whole exchange, like Roland being the fish out of the water in the modern world is very good. Like, can you say aspirin? Aston. Like, can you say <laughs> uh, what, what what was the first sandwich that he couldn't say? And he may finally just goes to po' boy or hoagie or something like yeah. hoggy, hoagie, hoagie, hoagie. <laughs> yeah. Just say, can you say poor boy? Poor boy. Like that thing is, is really funny. Um it just like I, we don't get it, and I, I'm, I'm kind of happy that we don't. But like the actual interaction between Roland and these poor shopkeepers as he goes in and orders a po' boy sandwich with extra mayo would be really funny. To me. <laughs> yep, yeah. Just uh, the turning turning hoagie into hoggy. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I need I need a hog a, a hoggy sandwich slather with cum sauce um and some aston please thank you <laughs> yes it's really great yeah roland roland uh busting down on mayo for make for it looking like cum is really funny to me too i mean it's also like, it's also true it's not the reason yeah, oh, i dislike yeah. mayo it's just it's it's one of many one of many pieces of of, of evidence against it of course yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> uh but yeah i i liked this quite a bit because i don't know i love those sections in uh the drawing of the three you know, mm-hmm. when he when he's ordering the ordering the hot dogs and, you know, delighting at the taste of the Pepsi and stuff like, you know, to say a good thing about about the movie, the scene when he's at the hospital and they're like listing off all of his injuries and stuff. That's actually yeah. really good. Yep. Um, yeah. Roland does the fish it, out of water is is, uh, is is my jam. I'm I'm here for fish out of water scenes in general. So like my, one of my favorite fictional characters of all time being doing, you know, a hoagie hoggie routine is I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> the hoggies on first. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, so they call and call him answers because of course he didn't or because of course he didn't leave um you know and they chalk this up there's a little bit of hemming and hawing like he could have you know, gotten out of town he uses the police blockade as an excuse but really it's just it's just cow and also i don't know somebody who would believe their story probably also wouldn't wouldn't be very good at taking directions so call call yep. proves to be very good Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and Colum is just a fun character in general. Like there's just, he has a good sense of humor about him. Um, he's like every, every good old boy that you've ever met. Um, that, that is just a really nice dude. It would help out his neighbor and help out you. Even if he didn't know you, like he's just that guy. And you know, you, when you meet that dude as a kid, you aspire to be that dude. And I think yeah. that's the, that's, that's the thing about him. Yeah. Just like Mr. Mr. Reliable and his like salt of the earth nature. Like I get a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a Stuart Redman kind of vibe out of him. Oh, absolutely! You know? Yeah, yeah. Him, him, and Stu would get along famously without yes. any effort whatsoever. They would just literally sit down and start talking to one another, and, like <laughs> trading jokes and whatnot. So. Yeah, way into it. Um, can you explain this child of Roderick scene that we get to me? I every time I read it, I'm I'm always a bit confused. So they they find this like this walk in who has a literal talon coming out of one of his nostrils and this mm-hmm. in general looks like kind of glows green and looks disgusting. Yeah. And, I, I like that his eyes are kind of like fused together. So he's like Sonic the Hedgehog a little bit. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And he said it reminded him of a, a, a an egg with two yolks in the frying pan. And I, uh, I literally pulled over my car. It was like, I need to take a break. <laughs> this, <laughs> this, is, this is too much. Yeah. Um, but I just, I, I don't get the importance. Like, I, I realize, like, the walk-ins are here to show us that there's, that the world, the boundaries between worlds are thin. Yeah. And, like, these these crazy, weird, slow mutants or, or child of Roderick. But, like, it seems, like, child of Roderick is such an evocative term and Chevin of Chavin or whatever. And Roland, like, spends a lot of time, like, asking this dude a question and, like, honoring him in a, in a way that Roland does is, is when he kind of puts on his royalty hat, which I guess mm-hmm. is a crown. But let's let's just call it a royalty hat. Yeah. Um, and it's it just it like we're just gonna get to the thing where we find a hole between worlds and go through it 
So I don't know why we're spending a lot of time like murdering this dude for, at honor, right? Do you, do you get at this? Am I am I missing something? Um, it doesn't bother me as as much, primarily because I like how I, I like how evocative the term "child of Rod, Rod, Roderick" is, and mm-hmm. the idea that this is you know just this tribe of slow mutants who you know against all odds still worship the white. Um, I kind of see them a little bit as a uh, as as an echo of the um the Manny a a, a little bit in terms of being these eccentrics who hold, hold all of religion in the face of all this other stuff. Um, I, I feel like this is a little bit cart before the horse because yes, this is here to demonstrate the nature of the walk-ins that like, Oh, there may be a little bit of um, uncertainty as to like, okay, is this where, is this where the low men come through or these evil folks or whatever? It's like, Oh no, these are just people who like fell into a, like a, just a, just a bad dimensional hole and came through and they were already, bad off um in a lot of ways and him being so sick that roland mercy kills him like i don't know like being miserable mutants is kind of their thing so that seems that seems a little bit excessive to me <laughs> like i don't know i don't know you know we, we see children of roderick later on um but um i don't know this guy doesn't seem like that much worse off compared to compared to them mm-hmm. yeah I don't know. Let me ask. Let me ask you another question. Okay. If if it was the children of John Roderick, would it be better or worse? Um, I I would like that because they would be doing <laughs> stick fights, uh, neighborhood stick fights and stuff like that. Um, they mm-hmm. would adhere not to the way, but to the but but to the doctrine of keep moving and get out of the way. Um, I can't see Child of Roderick without thinking of um, so Rod, son of Rodney, from the Great Outdoor Fight. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> so that, that that is that that is the uh, that, that 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 is my primary carry away from this uh, to the point we were, where. Go ahead. Oh, I was. We were talking about my home remodel woes in the green room before the podcast, and uh, the other day I was moving some stuff around the garage, and I came across my three giant great door out great outdoor fight posters, oh, like yeah. the ones that that he did that were so so cool and over mm-hmm. the top, like from different years throughout the competition. I just, I love them so much. And the glass had broke on one of the poster frames and I was so, oh. so bummed. So. Did it hurt the poster oh. itself or didn't seem to. Okay. Uh, so I, and I pulled all that stuff out and try to m- move it separately. I'm going to get, I'm going to try to convince Autumn to let me put them up somewhere in the house again. <laughs> they were in the my computer room for a long time, but they don't really go with what we're trying to do. So I, right, I still right. like them so much. I want them to have a good home. I love that. Um, I love the Woodstock one. Like the say the, the sixties one is a really cool design. Yeah, that's a good one. I have three of them, um, and it, they're yeah, they're all good. They're all great. Mm-hmm. Onstad is Onstad does work anyway. Yeah, anyway, um, they <laughs> so, kill they kill this they kill this weird mutant because I guess existence is misery. Uh, you don't get to have an existence anymore. No, and then, no. Um, they roll over to Turtleback Lane where a, a giant storm is approaching. Yeah, um, and now we're going to cut away to the uh, to the VIP chapter of this uh, the section, um, Dan TD, which is where um, Mordred, uh, who's a coming. Uh, Mordred's a here and Mordred's a hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love that Susanna, even when she is in the middle of this horrible wrenching labor pain is counting the people in the room. And like, she has identified, like she's already claimed one of their pistols as her own for when she's going to make her move. And this is all like through the lens of Roland, right? Like she talks about um, Roland is the one that trained her to do all of this, to count mm-hmm. how many enemies are around her and how to, you know, get herself to count the exits and to get out of a situation tactically and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. man, like, I, I think I've said this before on this podcast and forgive me if I have, but uh, there's just a, like, 
hundreds of pages of rolling teaching a class missing from the dark tower series that i would really like to you know what i'm saying just yes. like just like montage give me the 80s montage scene where we're, <laughs> we're running up and down stairs and remembering the face of our father at the same time and yeah. i just <laughs> think about your dad yeah. yeah think about your dad think about your dad run upstairs think about your dad <laughs> yeah. i can't do both rolling chill out um but yeah like it's just it, it's, it's really good and you know at this point she she like looks up and sees eddie and roland you mentioned this earlier but like the the overlapping narrative of each of these chapters i actually think this is really cool like i like yeah. this a lot it's it's it could be way more confusing than it is but like mm-hmm. it's just very specific moments where these people talk to each other that you know exactly where everybody else is in time yes um so it's easy to hold together like these threads in your head yeah you got these nice like intersections between the three of them so it forms like a really good like stable triangle yeah mm-hmm. yeah um so mia finally gives birth um mm. as uh like like right after jake is cut off his transmissions cut off uh but yeah mia gives birth to mordred um and mordred is incredibly creepy uh there are a lot of details i understand that some babies are born with a full head of hair um yep. yeah that happens it's fine mm-hmm. um things are creatures that shouldn't have human teeth um is kind of a like like a like a horror trigger for me in a way like just picture mm-hmm. a picture a dog with human teeth it's like not good oh yeah that's i mean any of this stuff is a google search away and like i heard you guys talking about it um it for the Sekiro episode about the uh the carp <laughs> oh, yeah. the carp just has a, like a huge human teeth and it's very creepy and yeah, yeah. Yeah, now, and l- tiny babies having a mouthful of human teeth is is real disturbing to me. Yeah, why does he need those? Um, and he also just to, to to round everything out and be be very very unsettling and to show you know how quickly this kid is developing, what have you? Um, how unnatural he is. Let's say he is born with 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 an erect penis. Um. And I am my my cursory knowledge of biology says that that ought not be that ought not be um, yeah, that ought not be. And I like how Stephen King goes out of his way to say that he's unnaturally large. Like and mm-hmm. Susanna's like, he's like the size of my pinky. And I'm like, OK, yeah, I could do with less detail. Like you could just say erect penis and I'm fine. Like yeah, you don't no. have to go into all of the details on the erect. It, penis. it doesn't it doesn't need to be lovingly rendered is is mm-hmm. is the thing. But like overall, as a complete as a complete kind of picture, um, I'm real unsettled by Mordred. Uh, yes. You know, he ends up being, you know, I think a, a, a sympathetic character um, in, in the end. But as a as a baby who is covered in blood uh, and still is charismatic and charismatic enough to command the attention of an entire room. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, this is this is not great. Yeah, there, there's a moment here where when everybody is clapping as he cries for the first time that even Susanna is caught up in it. And yes. like she says, like, I had the opportunity to to grab the gun that I've been eyeing and I just I just couldn't. I was mm-hmm. I was frozen to the spot. And um, and of course, Mia, who gave up immortality as whatever prim demon that she was um, to have this baby is mm-hmm. over the moon and. Just the detail in which they go into of like her kissing this baby all over, and like in in that tense moment too. Like I I, I don't want to move over that, but the tense moment of like whether they're not are they going to give her the baby at all? Yeah, and and because you know that's been a thing. Like mm-hmm. Susanna's been keep telling her like you're not going to get the baby for five to seven years. That's not going to happen. Like yeah, they're just no, going to take it away from you. Yeah, and like they're um, they're say, they're saying this stuff to her, and you know Su- Susanna's sending like hey don't believe their lies. Like it doesn't 
it doesn't matter. <laughs> like you, you could be caught up in the moment, but no, no, it's this is not going to turn out great. Um, spoiler: it doesn't turn out great. No, uh, be- because <laughs> Mia, um, she was not all together to begin with, but this completely breaks her. Mm-hmm. She, you know, is uh, laughing insane at this point. Yes, uh, laughing, drooling. Her her eyes go over Susanna, and there's no recognition whatsoever, despite them having been literally mind melded together as of like ten minutes ago. Um, and she's just she's just constantly t- how beautiful is my baby, my chap, my boy, my my son, my Mordred, and just is going. She's just she's just obsessed. She, and she is insane with her obsession. Right up to the end, her, her her last words are: "Is he not? Is he not beautiful? Is my son not uh, not beautiful as fair as the summer sun?" Um, and and listeners, that's after he, the baby turns into a spider and begins eating her nipple first. So like yeah. she is she's off the off the off the pale. She, yeah. she's out of it. No, no. So there's a little bit of drama over you know will she will will she nurse the baby? Um, Sayer threatens to bring in a. Bring in a wet nurse, like oh, they're 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 waiting in the wings. Maybe she should have taken them up on that offer because as she you know gets ready to to, to nurse Mordred, he begins to change. He changes into a, a spider with a baby's head, um, and he bites her breast off and starts drinking the blood like it's milk. And you know she is you know beaming to everybody, smiling, exulting. Is he not beautiful? You know, as fair as the summer sun. And as he... Yes. Go ahead. <clears throat> Stephen King excels at the description of... And I think one of the reasons he has the reputation that he does is that he inspires such revulsion and terror in his readers. And this is just classic Stephen King going into so much detail about this this baby transforming into a spider as it suckles on its mother for the first time, about the, the like the hideous configuration and about the the hideous things that it's doing, yeah. and it's again I, I mentioned this when I was talking about listening to the podcast at the very, at the very beginning, or excuse me, listening to the audiobook, like literally wanting to turn my radio down and, and be <laughs> like I it, and I'm uh, you know just. I don't want to hear this loud. Like it's just, it's so gross. And I, it's I can't, so disgusting. I can't skim over this when I'm listening to it. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's, it just, it's, it's the car wreck that you can't look away from. Right. Like yeah. it's just, you, and it's, it's, it's revolting and it's disgusting. And it's like the, it's the culmination of everything that this child is, which is, you know, brought forth by rape of, you know, demon and uh, demon rape and weird semen transfer and crimson king and also roland and all this Mm -hmm. other stuff and this immortal weird demon baby person surrogate like it's just Mm -hmm. it's just that all of the grossest and worst stuff in the world turned into a baby that can turn into a spider and it's crazy yeah and you know everything about this has been a perversion of you know what is widely considered to be a you know a a climactic moment of the you know the miracle of life you know, give it, give it, you know, just generate. I've not experienced it, but that is how that, that is what we are led to believe that that initial moment of bonding is is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And just everything is inverted and kind of profaned by just the nature of this creature. You know, the, yes. n- n- you know, nursing instead of being milk, it is, you know, literally the blood. And instead of, you know, <laughs> Instead of just being this, you know, long coexistence. No, Mordred is so hungry and we're going to find out his metabolism is so sped up because he is going to be developing at a rapid rate um, that as he is um, sucking all of this blood out, um, he sucks Mia dry. Uh, We get this horrible description of Mia 
again smiling um as she kind of fades of all color the the description of her as like a drawing of a woman as opposed to an actual woman itself is really haunting to me but she starts drying out and the color starts fading from her her face skin splits apart in this vertical line and powder starts pouring out as mordred burrows into her head to basically mummify mia alive I like I like to get lost into some details here. Like, yes, Mia is a weird immortal being that traded her immortalness for you know mortality. Like, I'm wondering if he does this to everybody, or if this was like special special mama powder that he turned her into. That wouldn't <laughs> have happened to any other being that was just like straight up human or tahine or you know vampire or, or what have you. Like, I wonder if this was like exactly the the amount of gopher dust i guess i don't know what i don't know what to call it like weird mama mama dust yeah um that he needed to be able to like you know transform and, and to stay in that transformation for the first time mm-hmm. none of those details matter or, or in any way shape or form are ever going to come up i'm just like in my mind i think about that kind of stuff sometimes no the thought had crossed my mind too because he he definitely feeds on a bunch of other stuff not necessarily by sucking it dry um i don't know i don't think that i'm full of a bunch of stinky powder maybe under a bunch of maybe maybe under the right circumstances um i could totally see that um, i don't know man we're, we're gonna be hanging out in the same uh airbnb <laughs> and duck fest so maybe i'll learn if you're f- filled with some stinky powder <laughs> i don't know maybe we're in a separate rooms so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> keep your powder to yourself ross <laughs> <laughs> i can't help if it gets in the vents um <laughs> but like this is not a great ending um for mia she has not been necessarily the best um you know the most well-intentioned character um this is a not a good death let's let let, let, let's say but there's something weird about the fact that she dies ecstatic like having served the basic purpose you know um of having brought this forward like like Mm -hmm. the, the the deal is culminated even if it's not paid through right she doesn't get those years and years of raising the kid you know she is literally just served the you know the 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 letter of the of the the agreement if not the spirit right yeah and her and her mind literally breaks at the at the concept of you know this is what it was for and she it's it's either accept total madness or Mm -hmm. Or to try to fight against this this monstrosity that she has created, that she has brought into the earth, and yeah. instead she just accepts madness, and then it literally dies for this, and you know Mordred gets to live, which is what she wanted. So, yeah. I mean, Mia has always been a very pitiful character. It's, she's yes. always been kind of a gross character, like all of that stomping around and eating rats and stuff was always super gross. Um, I'm pretty happy to put her behind us because the less Susanna mind talking that i have to suffer through to get to the good stuff or the story I, the better um, yes so I'm, I'm glad that we just got Susanna now even though we're going to have a little bit more data than we're, we're really used to mm-hmm. that's not going to really be a bother bothersome thing for me but i'm glad we're, we're done with mia at this point even yeah. though she boy what a way to go like this yeah. is t- top 10 ways to go right like that's <laughs> top 10 anime betrayals your spider baby <laughs> sucks <Watch>. you dry <laughs> watch <first>. mojos <laughs> worst deaths in fiction yeah yep. mm-hmm. oh uh but du- you know during all of this as everybody watches horrified Susanna decides to make her move um she steals one of the one of the pistols off of the nurses uh I, I, it's really gratifying that she kills sayer yeah um, like that a lot puts two uh puts two bullets in them one for mia um and one for callahan i believe mm-hmm. um 
and, and also pauses and thinks like, I wish I had time to make her, make him lick my stubs the way he made me lick her, lick his boots. Like, yeah. yeah. But I just, but I have to kill him so fast. Like I don't have time to do that. No, no, there, there, there's, there, there's no time for that kind of, for that kind of luxury. <laughs> I, I will say Stephen King writes these these shoot 'em ups way better than he has any right to. Like I always go back to the you know Eddie naked and with Roland and uh, the, the drawing of the three. But like all of our shoot 'em up scenes in in this are in this book are really really great, and this is mm-hmm. no exception. Like Susanna like handles this room in a really satisfying way. Yes, although I wish that she didn't shoot out Nigel's eyes. Yeah, but I mean, I get it, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah, if you'd hung around Andy, you would probably yeah. have some have well, some and, notions. And, and like, it's, it's like pure tactical. Re- and like, she even apologized. She's like, "I'm sorry, bro." And he's like, "Yeah, no, that's cool. No worries. I got infrared. It's all right." Like, <laughs> well, I mean, no, they, he, he specifically doesn't do infrared. Like, he he spends all this time whining about his eyes, and like, I do not know if the repair bay will be ready for me. And then oh, like, not, he's he's, oh, he's, right. he's he's guiding like he's guiding her. He's like, "Hey, do you need me to like? Do you need me to point point you out?" And he's like, "Oh, I." I have infrared, but it is not as pleasurable. So what were you oh, yeah. whining about, dog? <laughs> yeah, if you can just see, like, hey, look, if like I just you know, if you go from a four K TV to like a you know four eighty P, like maybe you're like, uh, this is not quite as good. Yeah. Um but yeah, like she 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 handles this room very well. Uh, I like the idea that she when she shoots Nigel, like it sets off this huge blaring alarm, uh, mm-hmm. which she expected, and she like uses it to her advantage. Like gunslingers be knowing how to kill people. Yep. Through, and, and it is like almost entirely through that situational awareness that we highlighted at the beginning of the chapter here. <clears throat> yeah. So um, in the firefight, she manages to shoot Mordred, uh, but he moves out of the way at the last minute and it actually just takes off one of his spider legs. Uh, this is going to be a big deal later on uh, because that wound never heals, uh, yep. you know, whether he's in uh, whatever form he is in. Um, so he is speaking to, um, Susanna telepathically like a, like a Disney villain. He is swearing vengeance. Of course. I mean, he's like, you know, four minutes old. Like I'll give yes. him credit for that. The script's not that great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. I, 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 I'm, I'm more, I'm impressed actually. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I was, I was not this good at four minutes. Right. Like I no. barely strung two words together, <laughs> um. but you did it. And that's why you were in the paper. Yeah. Um, um, um yeah. also like this this kind of journey thing where she she jumps up into nigel's arms and she's like take me away and he's like all right let's go <laughs> yeah. uh and then after some brief discussion they she realizes that there's one door left between fedek and new york and it's new york door number nine um mm-hmm. and kind of along the way some environmental storytelling of like wow like all of these posters make it seem like these people would come and basically be a tourist to all of our worst disasters i love that it's so I I just oh, I, yeah. I like that the king's men are just like I mean this is this is from the next chapter but like selling tickets to nine eleven yeah um Ugh. yeah no no I like I I I, I, pr- I prefer that as characterization for how awful these people are as mm-hmm. opposed to you know black thirteen you go back to that episode to hear us to hear us being real r- real weirded out by that particular choice um. <laughs> I know Stephen King lived in New York for a while, and I'm sure, like, uh, you know, it it probably had a great impact on that. Like, this event probably had a great impact on him, and mm-hmm. it's, it's easy to remember that, like, this was what three years after that, three or four yes. years after that. Yeah. So, like that, the amount of September 11th, like, grief and angst was was. A, it, I mean, like, it's weird in 2019 to think about how great it was. Like, I've yeah. I don't I had the me and Autumn were at a bar the other day, and I remembered that that um 
uh, I'll put a boot up his ass country song came out the red oh, white and blue song yeah, and I was boy. like like and that people loved that shit and mm-hmm. I was like I, you pick up and you look at it now and you're like this is just embarrassing and revolting like what were we doing as a country but a lot of this not eleven stuff really in Stephen King books like goes that direction for me the same way it, like his obsession with the JFK assassination is kind of weird for me too but mm-hmm. this like just the idea of like visit nine eleven or you know visit any natural disaster is it makes these people so disgusting that they would do this that it, it works for me re- really well yeah yeah um you know, the, there's a kind of a similar idea in um Dr. Sleep which is in the tower uh continuity to a certain extent um but um they the the um the psychic vampires that uh, that you deal with in that like they you know feed off of pain and suffering and like that was just a gigantic day for them like they knew it was coming because they can feel it you know they can they can feel these disasters happening and they can they can get there but uh, i think that like just by virtue of taking you know that book coming out long after the event itself i think mm-hmm. he had a better i think he had a better handle on how to on how to deal with it as opposed to it being this close and feeling yeah. kind, of, kind of kind of a little bit a little bit more strange than that i think if you um just on a completely lighter note uh there's have you watched the what we do in the shadows tv show adaptation that they did no not the tv show they they added a um a i guess an emotional vampire hmm. but it's like the most boring dude at the office who he feeds by just telling you the most boring story ever <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's done really really well oh. I, I, I know recommendations are terrible because nobody has time to do everything but uh-huh. uh, yeah highly recommend that show if you like the movie no no i i I, for, I keep forgetting the show exists um because you know, even though i love the movie it's just it's hard there's a lot of there's a lot of good television too much too much <laughs> so um nigel he leaves Susanna by the you know, by the one door that she needs uh to be at he goes off to repair himself and she just sits there i love this line all she heard was the rusty dying wheeze of the machinery in the walls extremely great yeah. imagine sitting here like just putting yourself in this in Susanna's position and being like oh jesus christ this is terrible Who knows? <laughs> this is absolutely terrible and terrifying and she's and she's like ringing everybody's psychic phone and just looking for uh, for updates but she's not getting anything Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's in the group text. <laughs> just, where y'all at? Come you, get me. <laughs> Thought we were getting wings, Eddie. Where you, y'all at, Eddie? You up? <laughs> um, can, can we WYD from Susanna? <laughs> uh, let's breeze through in the jungle, the mighty jungle, because this okay. feels this feels a little bit like a uh, uh, it, it is a Jake moment, but it is more about like his you know weird childhood mm-hmm. treating his nanny as a as a surrogate mother. Uh, but like nothing really happens here. We just yeah. kind of get a glimpse at, at, at that past, and then we also see a piece of you know old one technology or whatever. But Jake has moved um, deeper into the restaurant. There's a little bit of a comedy of errors with this midworld cook. He's talking to this cook, saying, "Hey, you need to leave this restaurant," and he doesn't understand. Jake like stays there way too long, throwing the arises at the people coming through the door single file Jake, just leave why are you talking to this dude why yeah. are you trying to tell this dude to buy a playstation he's yeah. like video games man I'm like, what are you doing he's fine <laughs> just let him go yeah uh but as he leaves he's so exasperated that he, that he kind of doesn't hear the warning about the mind trap <clears throat> yeah and i we could definitely breeze through this we don't have to get into all the details it goes on for far too long about yeah. him and and his his nanny or his you know au pair or whatever it is and um the 
like it, okay there's a machine that make your fears a reality got it okay cool good. yes um the way that he gets around this by basically doing a mind swap with oi and the <sighs> comedy of oi trying to figure out how to operate a human body like weekend at bernie's his way through trying to like walk through this thing is very hilarious to me yeah and not used if i remember correctly for the rest of the book like they don't do this except for this one time and right it's just it's just real weird <laughs> that they do this. Like, it's very strange, right? It is incredibly out of place. Yeah. This is like Bran Stark warging into something, right? Like it's way before the Game of Thrones. Well, I don't actually know when that happened in the Game of Thrones book. So it could have been around the same time. I don't know. But like it's very, it's it feels very uh, like medieval fantasy, like mm -hmm. bullshit anamorph kind of <laughs> yeah. activity than it does the... And look, I know all fantasy is dumb when you get down to it. I'm not. I'm not trying to make excuses for anything. It just out of place is the good word. Like I just, I just, I don't particularly like it that much. And there's a lot of, um, and and this is, you know, I say classic Stephen King a lot because Stephen King has so many tropes. But we get a lot of detail on all of the dudes that are chasing him. That works in the idea of I'm reading this story and I want to know about these people. I guess, but mm -hmm. like, and it, it's talking about it. They don't. They're all going to get murdered in like 40 pages. Yes. Like we we know so much about Flaherty that and that's a dude that gets just murdered in the, in the next couple of, in the next chapter he just straight murdered so i, so I, I like the idea of flair like so the idea behind flarity i think is the cool thing about this chapter which is you know he he works for the crimson king like of the group that he runs he's the only human he's the only hume as they as they as they say um and he is like he travels between these parallel new yorks like acting as an enforcer um i think that is really cool it just happens to be alongside this comedy of errors. Hey, remember million dollar movie <laughs> yeah. kind of thing, um, you know, because, you know, just J Jake walks into this, you know, reality projector or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, after, uh, okay, admittedly a cool detail walking along, not realizing what's happening and just seeing grass grow out of the tile. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Like so the, the 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 environment changing, but just the idea that he is held still by these dinosaurs, um, it just it it sucks all of the it, it sucks. Let's just say that it's, it sucks. And it and it, you know the he gets through this by you know doing the the anamorph thing with Oi. I don't know if that I've never read an anamorph book in my life. I have no he, idea. He doesn't he doesn't turn into Oi. He he just kind of mind he mind swaps mind swaps. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I just assume that's what anamorphs do. I guess that's right there <laughs> in the name that's morph. But what, anyway, um. The way that these the the bad guys have to get across this is like actually shooting out the projectors, which like, oh, these are projectors. <laughs> like, yeah. excuse me, like what? Like, are they using hard light from the Shi'ar? Like, are we in a danger room situation? <laughs> like, what? What is like? It's just six. It, it, they like had to put out six lenses before they break this old world magic technology. And yeah. I just, yeah, I just mm, mm, don't like it. Uh, and there's a lot of that Wema Web in the Mighty Jungle like bullshit song stuff that yeah. I don't really care about. So yeah, not a good um, song. But eventually he gets to the door, uh, and because Oi had to, you know, walk him a little bit, they they slow down and the and Flaherty and his group almost catch up with them. But he gets to the door, uh, Susanna take a little nap on the other side, <laughs> which is very funny. Just kind of drifted off, which yeah. I mean, like same girl. Like if you, I mean, catch your sleep when you can, right? Uh, <laughs> yep. uh, luckily she wakes him time and tell in time to tell her the password, and he's able to slip through the door. And Flaherty is pissed. Yeah, I know he just missed him. Like literally, like a bullet whizzed by his head as he passed through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, this takes us to a better chapter on Turtleback Lane, um, a, a chapter that matters. Let's say. 
Uh, because Roland and Eddie, they meet John Colum on Turtleback Lane. Uh, and I love this little uh, moment because fuck Jack Andalini. Uh, Andalini and all of his dudes were arrested. <laughs> so... Uh, Eddie lets uh, this huge laugh, and uh, I like that Roland has a moment of like when nobody can laugh like Eddie Dean when he's you know the most amused, unless it might be Cuthbert. Yes, so that could have been. A, um, <laughs> and I, you know, I really like this. I was thinking about this, thinking about this as I was reading this because it's time to like let John in on their on their story so far, right? Mm-hmm. Like they have to do the the, the catch up post basically, and. Yeah. Um, this is done really, really well, and I think it's really exciting when a characters that you have been following for thousands of pages have to relay their their story to a character that's not that like is just experiencing this for the first time. Because mm-hmm. you get that like it's not quite a fish out of water thing, but you get that you know, well, what about this kind of like fresh perspective on things? And it's just really fun. And John is a really good character for that. Like he yeah. just it just works really well. So I, man, this them like go, kind of going back and forth and holding this palaver for a long time is is really good. Mm-hmm. I like the idea. Of, like it could, maybe in an hour and a half, I could summarize what happens in this in this in this series. Uh, although that would make for a far worse podcast. I wouldn't want to pay for the hosting on that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just Jake, you know, picking up the story w- w- with himself, uh, because Roland's story would be weird to start with, um, you know, and re- relating that along and John not being like credulous because I think that like lends a little bit of like naivete or stupidity to it. But he's like, I don't know. We have these walk-ins, like I'm ready to believe anything based on what I've seen. Like, yeah, you know, hit me, hit me with what you got. Um, yeah. just you how- guys are obviously not from here. Yes, like I can tell that just by smelling you. Like I can do, like literally. There's a moment earlier where Eddie, as I think he's on the phone with John, and Roland walks up and he doesn't even look around. He's like, "Because who else is going to smell like a different world up <laughs> <Right>. here?" And <laughs> which makes me think that the, that the other that Midworld just stinks to high heaven. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's the bl- it's the blight town of worlds. Is what, <laughs> what Midworld is. Um, and yeah, John just like just kind of accepts this and rolls with it because at his core, he's just a pragmatic dude and he's willing to. If you put something that he, if you put something in front of his eyes, he'll believe it with his, if he can get his head around it. And he mm-hmm. quit very quickly. Uh, I think Eddie says like, he's, he may look like a country cousin, but he's not, he's not stupid. And that's mm-hmm. absolutely the case. Like he may look like he's from bumfuck Maine, but he's a really smart, he's a, he's a trig cove. Yes. You know what I'm saying? As well, I mean, like specifically Eddie calls that, calls that, uh, that phrase back up. Um, oh, does he? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, he, he does. Like, oh, he like uh, about John Cullum. He's like, yes, the, he is what the people of love would have would have called the trig cove, um, and it's apt. It, it really is. Really, the only thing that John Cullum um, balks at is Antalitha's sigil, uh, uh, the, the the cross that uh, that Roland tries to give her, um, because it is magic, <laughs> and he is willing to believe the uh, he is willing to believe the you know, the evidence of his eyes as regards, um, Roland and Eddie, but he worries that touching this will, you know, bring some kind of terrible, uh, fate upon him. No, no, this is just a way to help convince Moses Carver, um, that Susanna is still alive. Um, because that's part of his mission. Yeah. Like, and this, this feels a bit hand wavy to me as well. Like, Oh, we just made it. We just made a magic talisman and it, yes. you can hear Susanna speaking it somehow. Like, okay, cool. Whatever yeah. you blow on it, you blow on it. You can hear Susanna's voice. Okay, cool. Cool. Yep, okay, cool. Cool. Yep. It's, it, it is a mystic talk boy. 
Cool. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this is the thing that home, the kid in Home Alone eats. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. That movie's not out yet, but I'm I'm, I'm here. I'm here with you. Okay. Yeah. No, it's fine. I can imagine a kid alone. It's, it's scary. Like it's weird that that's a comedy for kids, but okay. Um. <laughs> and there's and there's criminals trying to kill him. Is that what you're telling? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Sounds weird, but okay. Um. <laughs> so, but yeah, he's supposed to go convince Moses Carver Susanna's alive. She's out on this plan, and that Holmes Dental has a bigger mission than making toothpaste and yes. you know doing doing dental caps and things like that you know they need to merge the tech corporation use the resources of holmes dental to act as a foil to sombra and north central positronics with john Cullum basically taking on this role as an executive vice president of dirty tricks um you think, go ahead you think anybody's made a star starcraft mod of just tech corporation sombra and north central positronics drafted onto the <laughs> Because it would work pretty well, right? Humans and the Zerg and the Protoss. I don't know if it played StarCraft in years, but it would work kind of well. Yeah, right? you, you could balance that, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. North, North, so, North Central would be would be the Protoss. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Get, get at me, StarCraft modders, and I'm sure you listen to this <laughs> Dark Tower podcast. Yeah, no, it's fine. We talk a lot about video games. It's okay. Mm -hmm. um i want the book about this i want the book with john cullum as the, as the protagonist yeah. like you know yeah. so we talked about like the hemming and hawing about the about the contract stuff being being kind of bad but like corporate espionage between these two between these two companies and like going and foiling all of the because like they're they're set up to like you know they say anytime anytime they build a factory it needs to not work um anytime they try to you know acquire a piece of land you know tat needs to get it first and, you know, John Cullum is, you know, he's talking about like, oh, yeah, like we kind of firebombed that one place. Um, but I'm just I'm just really interested in, in in that particular that particular part of the story and the fact that he has this good long life after um, after this. Well, I mean, 12 more years of of kind of working in this high high intrigue is really uh, intriguing to me. Absolutely, yeah, and I'm I'm with you. Like, give me this comic book, or give me this book of short stories, or or what have you. Like, yeah. I, I just want to see these dudes like making these decisions and, and and struggling with them. Like, there's there's a moment here where he said, you know, I had to struggle with the decision to to you know break off with IBM because they were mm -hmm. they showed more interest in working with North Central Positronics than they did with uh, the Tet Corporation, and that was a that was yeah. a big deal. And all of that stuff is just super cool. Like, again, I want to read that book. Like, mm -hmm. I just want to give me that book, please. Yeah. Um, but John Collins like, yeah, sure. Uh, it seems, seems pretty important, you know, and, you know, along with all of that, protect the Rose first and protect King seconds, you know, because the Rose holds up this side of the beam and King holds up the other side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he takes the scrap of paper and he is given directions to never, ever let Tower do anything. Um, <laughs> and they part ways and i i, I believe uh column doesn't appear in the story again this is his ending as well yes although we don't you know we don't see it we just know that he lives for 12 more years and they approach this glowing door um this gigantic field with a still storm over top of it uh just filled with scores and scores of children of roderick um when they approach the door and concentrate on reuniting with jake and go through yeah, this the description of this is really brilliant. Mm -hmm. I mean, just these these things flying around, these colors, this this huge lightning storm, and and just like the approach of rain as it starts to kind of sprinkle or, or whatever. Just it, it just it feels awe inspiring, and like yeah. 
also your property values of your lakefront house. I mean, what you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> they, they my dad has a little place on the lake, and if we saw this on a Fourth of July weekend, we'd be like, "All right, time to move. Like, we got to go find another lake." Oh, this I, is I, a bad I thought lake. you were going to say on Fourth of July, seeing all these lights, time to sell tickets. <laughs> <laughs> they, they talk about that. They talk about how, like, oh yeah, all the you know, all these rich people who own the own these houses, they're they're selling uh, because mm-hmm. like terrible things are happening to them. Yeah, very funny. Um, yeah. And they and and Roland basically says like, oh, I've been in communication with Jake. Uh, I know where they are. So uh, you grab onto my hand, Eddie, and I will I will take us to the promised land. And they they jump into this magical prim door that's not like a a real carved door like we've mm. seen, but just like a a magical door. It's almost like a thinny almost, just something like that. Like it's glove. definitely feels like a thinny. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, they, it's it like a like a like a like a not sick thinny how yes. about like a like a, a like a valid thinny, yeah, um, valid thinny. Your, your opinions are valid thinny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have worth um and then yeah they they just appear in new york because it's mm-hmm. in 1997 um right behind flaherty and his boys yeah i love how roland reads in the riot act Thou art gonna be basically gives them a chance to confess. Uh and Roland says, Thou are cowards after all, I'm sorry to see. They'd kill a priest and 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 chase a lad, but not stand and claim the day's work. Um they're thou are cowards and sons of cow. <laughs> I I, I, I want to know how we would finish that sentence. Um, because it's it's kind of cut off in the middle by the shots opening up. Sons of cow, what? Mm-hmm. What? grass eaters man they don't like cows yeah, yeah, the no, no. No, sons of just it would literally just be sons of cows at this point the, just sons of your sons of steers <laughs> but uh rolling in a deal with them and they finally pass the door and we get the tearful reunion uh the tet is back together um and this is good yes this uh just to call it out like another great action scene of you know them doing the gunslinger thing where eddie it, like reload when he reloads he like rolls behind uh roland <laughs> he rolls behind roland mm-hmm. so that you know he can cover him while eddie is reloading and then like vice versa that happening and just murdering everybody mm-hmm. um and then that moment where eddie says you know he's Susanna, are you there through the door and that like that that super must infinity long second that you are just i think stephen king writes about this like the voice of your lover not knowing if you were ever going to hear it again and then you hear it for the first time and mm-hmm. eddie's eddie says like his eyes are so heavy that he can't keep them open and he realized they must have been heavy with tears because he does yes. they just feels falling down and then they tell him the password and yeah it's yeah he can't like he's, he, he's not sure he can say it um exactly. to, get, to get through yeah, yeah. because and he's this moment up. this moment where jake approaches the gunslinger and says you know He's, I think he says, Heil Jake, and he says, Heil Father, and, you know, can I call you that? And I, I would, you know, Roland is is filled with this this feeling that he's probably not felt in a long time, if mm-hmm. ever. And it's it's one of the most touching moments of the Dark Tower series, yeah. our contact coming back together, finally, after what feels like 11 billion pages, like, yes. right? <laughs> it just feels like so long. It, it, was, um, I mean, it was literally just one book that they were apart, but, you know, it was a lot that they, that, that, that they went through. Yeah. yeah. And you just just the the end of the section, you know, my father has come for me. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, because the, 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 there's been a lot of you know, kind of messing around at the edges of that. You know, talking about like, okay, what is what is the definition of din? Right? You know, is it just leader? Is it king? Is it is is it father? Things like that. Like that definition was played with in the prophecy that led to Mordred. Um, th- 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 things of that nature, right? But to actually have it be, um played out literally to have this mutual acceptance 
you know, in spite, you know, in the, in the face of all that they had been through. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good moment. It's, it's one of those like fuck yeah moments. And then you realize like, Oh, there's a bunch more of this book left. <laughs> you, you were you were setting me up like you were like it, it's you were setting me up to uh, really really care about this because something terrible is going to happen to my friends and um, this feels like a good time just to end the book right like yeah. okay we're good and yeah. and they killed the crimson king and rolled it down the tower and now we're done so <laughs> oh, man gonna come back together just to be uh, blown apart hmm. yep. So, um, final thoughts about this, uh, about this section, Jeremy. Uh, I mean, I think if you've, if you've heard me talk this long, you probably know that I'm, I'm really into this. Like mm-hmm. the, all of the, it, it's, it's a very successful opening to opening section or opening book, um, that really works. It, it highlights the strength of our characters with only a few missteps for me along the way. Um, just th- this whole section with Jake is, is, is a real big miss for me. Like, I just don't care. I've never cared about his like nanny chick at all. And yeah all of that stuff just doesn't work for me, but all of these action scenes, like all of the stuff with Mordred, all of, uh, this, this weird world traveling stuff that, um, Roland and Eddie are doing the John column setting up the corporation was super fascinating and like learning in just a paragraph, like this stuff that happens to him is super good. And I, I don't know, man, like it's just, it's just a really, it's a hell of a start out of a book. And I, man, I just, I'm going to, it's going to be hard for me not to read more of this book. Like I'm in the <laughs> middle of, uh, I'm reading the expanse right now and I'm on the last book and I'm like, I just need to focus on that. I can't yes. read the dark tower again. You read it two months ago. No, so. no, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's, you know, you start with some of this stuff and you're like, wow, I just need to keep going. Mm-hmm. So. What about you? Yeah, no, uh, cosigned. Uh, I, I don't know that I have an awful lot to add. I, you know, I think that there, there are regrettable sections of this that, you know, if I was, you know, if, 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 if I could presume to edit, uh, you know, I'd probably, you know, combine and compress some of this, get rid of on turtle back lane or whatever. Those are pacing concerns more, more than, more than anything. Um, I think that as a resolution of what we saw in uh song of Susanna, it, it goes a long way toward, I think, justifying that book a little bit and how weird it is. It's kind of strange to read this and kind of think, wait, so why wasn't this the end of that book? Also that, yeah, I think yeah. I think that's definitely because the the end of Song of Susanna is such a, a weird cliffhanger that I just yeah I don't I don't get it. But maybe I mean maybe he just really like wanted people to feel like he was going to wasteland them and just keep it, wait make them wait for eight years or something. Like I don't know. He, <laughs> he, had, uh, he, he had announced the the release schedule. Like he, he had said yeah. like yeah okay you're going to wait a year or no like not even that like book five came out in two thousand three, um, book six came out in like March of twenty two thousand four and then this came out in September. So maybe he was just, yeah, I don't know. You can't trust authors though. No, no. They, 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 they spend their time, you know, being creative and it's hard to write. It's hard to do that. So yes. sometimes dates slip. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you very much, Jeremy, for hopping on. Hey, thank you for having me again. Yeah. I love doing this podcast. Yeah, it's very fun. Uh, where can people find you? The best place is Twitter at JG Greer. That's where I uh, retweet all of my various projects, uh, which are, Far and wide on the Deck Fee Network, I have Days of Future Cast, which is all X-Men related stuff. <laughs> um, on my side project, Monster of the Week, where we talk about uh, Supernatural, the TV show, Two Hunky Bros. And I, on that network, I guess it's a network, we do a podcast called Thinking Face, uh, where we talk about every single emoji. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. I didn't know you were doing um, that. Yeah, yeah, it's we're about sixty episodes deep now. It's it's three episodes a week, four, three to five minutes each. Um, it's 
it's weird to talk about this show without like technically spoiling it, which you wouldn't think that a show about emojis would have spoilers, but here we are because <laughs> we're doing some very weird stuff. Um, and then me and my wife, Autumn, who has been on this podcast a lot, yes. has started Dead Blood Club, which mm-hmm. is going to be going through, it's a book club similar to Radio Free Midworld, mm-hmm. except we're going to go through all of the Anne Rice Interview with the Vampire series. Yeah. And um, we've got one episode of that out now. We're, we're going to be doing another one very, very shortly after this releases. And then uh, we're going to be trying to keep up a regular schedule from that. Yeah. So all of that, I, just go to JG Greer and you can find me retweeting all that stuff. So I won't give all the links. Recommended. Yeah. Uh, you can find me elsewhere on the DuckFeed.TV podcast network uh, here, uh, different shows. Uh, you can watch my streams. I stream uh, horror video games um, on Friday and Saturday nights on Twitch.TV slash DuckFeedTV. We'll be back next time, um, I think, with either Everything's Eventual or Hearts in Atlantis, something like that. I want to uh, do some of those introductions uh, for uh, Ted and Dinky. Uh, That is a weird sentence, but sentences. (laughs) Uh, But um, yeah, we're going to be going through. We're going to be kind of interleaving some of these, uh, some of those related works as we go on. But I hope that you stick around and, uh, you know, enjoy your time with us. Uh, patreon.com slash duckvtv is a way to support this show and a whole bunch of others like it but most of all please have long days and pleasant nights <laughs>